Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome. Getting comfortable up here today. Um, it's kind of nice. I might do this every week. Uh, but we are glad you're here. We're wrapping up our series we've been in the last few weeks on complicated relationships, talking about things that complicate our relationships, the complicated relationships we have, whether they be family, marriage, coworkers, or whatever, and talking about how to pursue peace in the midst of everything. And this morning, I'm excited to have my good friend, Stephen Walters up here. Y'all might remember he preached here a while back. Let's give him a Harvest Point welcome. And uh, Stephen has known me for a while since I was a young pastor. And uh, when I was like 22 and started in ministry or 24, I don't know, um, he invited me to be part of accountability group with other pastors he was in. And so weekly, uh, we confessed our sins to each other. And uh, we prayed for one another. We talked about our complicated relationships in the church, outside the church, and our family. And one of the things that we realized is that anger affects a lot of our relationships. And so this morning, we're actually going to talk about anger with you and anger management. And so, Stephen, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, and then let's start easy. Tell us about the last time you were angry. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so I'm Stephen Walters, and uh, just kind of a, a brief background uh, might be helpful as you understand why maybe I can talk about anger. Uh, so I've worked in the local church uh, starting in the year 2000. I'm an, I'm an ordained elder in the, in the denomination. Um, and about seven years ago, uh, well, about six years ago, I started feeling called that God might be moving me in a different direction of ministry. Uh, so I went back to school while I was still serving in the church, got a, a, a degree in clinical mental health counseling, uh, and then began working with clients and, and therapy, and I'm a, a licensed professional counselor. And then this past year, starting in January, I transitioned to full-time counseling. So, mm-hmm. so went from local church, local church and counseling, to now counseling. And a lot of what I work with uh, revolves around anger. I work with individual, I work with teenagers, uh, adults, and then I work with couples. Mm-hmm. And in uh, and, and every level of that, anger comes out a lot. So mm-hmm. I've done that, worked with that in the church. Uh, I, I, being a part of accountability group, often anger would come out and things that we had going on. So yeah, uh, married, I've uh, been married for, uh, 17 and a half years, uh, was with my wife about five years before we got married. Occasionally anger has come up in our marriage. Occasionally. 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 Sometimes. Um, and you know, always because like I've done something wrong, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Cause she's, she's, <laughs> there's like godliness and then she's there. So it's usually my, my. My mistake. And then I've got two young boys, uh, almost 10-year-old and an eight-and-a-half-year-old, and occasionally there's anger, hmm. right, with them toward me or uh, sometimes me toward them. So certainly know about anger. Uh, but you asked the last time I was angry. I am very thankful as a, a UGA grad. Uh, I'm not angry today. Um, and as a Braves fan, I'm not angry today. Which, for someone growing up in Georgia, I'm not used to this. Yeah. I'm just not yeah. used to a day where it's I get different. to just be happy. It's different. It is different. But I did, I did want to tell this one brief story about anger because I also know that I may have offended some Florida fans. And, uh, and so let me tell you this quick story about anger. That Well, and <laughs> it's okay to offend the Florida fans. Um, but it, uh, this brief story, because it will inform some stuff later on. In the year 2002, is my senior year at Georgia, and it's the only time I've ever gone to Georgia, Florida. And, uh, and my wife and I were dating, uh, we were in college, and we had some other couple friends that we were, we were close with, and so we went to Jacksonville. My wife's aunt and uncle lived in Jacksonville at the time, and, and so they gave us, like, a spare room, and all the guys bunked in that, and another room, and, and the, the ladies bunked in that, and so all six of us went to the Georgia-Florida game. And going into the game, Georgia, this was Mark Rick's second year, 
we were we were eight no we were seven and zero or eight no I don't I don't have that quite remember but we were number five in the country. Florida had already lost like three games that year. It was Ron Zook's first year as head coach, and so Spurrier was gone, and we're like, yeah. And uh, and that day, Georgia Florida was at night, and the number two, three, and four teams in the country all lost, right? Number one was Miami, and then I'm like, okay, we're gonna beat Florida, we're gonna clinch the East, and we're gonna be number two in the country. And I was so excited, and we get into the game, and we scored first. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got this. And by the time the fourth quarter ended, we had lost 20 to 13. Hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, we lost that, and, and it took away our chance for national championship and all this stuff. And I remember, that, I remember that night, I'm just angry, right? And so I'm laying in my bed, and I'm not sleeping, and I'm, like, replaying. Terrence Edwards dropped a touchdown, and, like, David Pollock had a fumble recovery that he lateral. I mean, just all these things in my head that I'm so angry about. And the next morning at breakfast, my wife's like, hey, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, terribly, because I was so mad. And she looked at me and said well, that's really stupid. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm the counselor. She's, she's not. Um, uh, that was really stupid. She goes, if you want to be angry, why don't you be angry about the 25,000 children that died last night because they didn't have food? And I was like, uh, all right. Wow. I guess that makes sense. And wow. that, that informed a little bit about anger. And so I thought that story was helpful because it will inform some things like that. Yeah, said. yeah. You know, fortunately for me, I don't get too angry about sports events. Good, because you uh, are a good man. Um, you know, because I don't care that much. That's honestly. Um, but, you know, I think right now uh, it feels like people are angry, right? People are angry yeah. about rising prices. People are angry mm-hmm. at politicians. People are angry about mass mandates, about yeah. no mass mandates. People are angry um, at their workplaces. People are angry at each other because they've been like, you know, in the last two years had more relational intensity mm-hmm. in their households. So, that's the feeling I get, yeah. but I'm curious for you in your clinical practice, like, do you feel like people are angrier than in recent history? And if so, like, what's, what's going on? Yeah, I definitely feel like people are at least, ex- I mean, they're at least expressing anger more, hmm. um, probably because they are more angry. And I think all those things that you mentioned, I mean, division and, uh, you know, people that don't agree with me are, are very wrong. Um, because I'm right, you know, so we have all that going on. Also, some families have had to adjust to maybe one spouse traveled for work a lot, and we kind of had our rhythm figured out, and then during COVID, especially when travel wasn't happening as much, I don't know what it's like to do life with you here, Mm. and maybe it's harder or or more difficult, and so, yeah, I think that people have been, um, and part of that kind of wraps up into the notion of what anger is, Mm. and so when we look at anger in therapy, we, we take it from the lens of anger being what we call a secondary emotion. You know, we all learned as kids, we have primary colors and we have secondary colors, mm-hmm. and you need a primary color to make a secondary color. We have the same thing with emotions. We have primary emotions and we have secondary emotions. And our primary emotions are things like joy is a primary emotion, sadness is a primary emotion, anxiety is a primary emotion, um, hope is a primary emotion. So we have those things, but we may not feel that because we're expressing it in a secondary way. And anger often is that secondary emotion. And it comes frequently from something like an insecurity, a disappointment, an anxiety, a sadness. And it's our way of kind of responding to that. And I think of it like when you get a splinter. You know, you get a splinter under your skin, and, and what you're feeling is how the skin hurts, mm-hmm. right? And so that's kind of the primary concern, but, but it's hurting because you have the splinter, and so you can put lotion on your skin, you can put a salve on your skin, but until you get the splinter out, you're, you're going to continue to have the, the problem. Hmm. And it's like that with anger. So 
looking at how do I manage what's behind the anger? What's the primary thing behind the anger? Mm. And I say this when I start a se- when I start you know a new client. I tell them I look at, at life through the lens of a story, and we have the story of what life is like, and we have the story of what we hope life would be like. Mm. And when we get those gaps between those two stories, sometimes we're we're disappointed mm-hmm. because things haven't worked out the way that, that we wanted to. Sometimes we're sad that things haven't gone the way that we wanted to. We're anxious about that, and frequently that gets expressed in anger. Mm-hmm. And so when there's a struggle in my marriage, that's not what I thought would happen when we got married, and so I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Or my kids haven't done something uh, the way that I thought that they would do. There's that gap, and I'm angry. Or I haven't behaved the way that I wanted to behave, and I'm angry at myself, you know, or, or I thought God would do something. You know, the, the healing that I thought God would provide, the prosperity that I thought God would provide, the peace that I thought God, you know, and there's a gap between what I expected and I'm angry. And yeah. so I think that when we get all those gaps, hmm. that really leads to a lot of expressions of anger. Yeah, I heard somebody say once that anger alerts us uh, of something that needs to be addressed. Right. So I guess like you're saying, it, it alerts us of something deeper is going on. Right. Um, and, and so anger, like you're saying, is an emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we, even in the church, like we don't know what to do with emotions. Like are emotions good or emotions bad? Should I try to control them? Like, do they control me? Like, how do you, I mean, as a counselor, how do you think about emotions? Like, what, what, I don't know. Yeah, when you're, when you're thinking about emotions, biblically, theologically, like, sure. yeah, how, how do you understand those? Well, I'm, okay, so as a counselor, I don't tell people emotions are bad, hmm. right? Like, you have emotions. Uh, I also tell people you can't control your emotions. Hmm. You know, we can do things to affect our emotions, what we say, what we do to affect it, but we can't control it. So we don't want to view them as bad, right? It's, it's a tool. It's a response. It compels us to certain things, but the emotion itself isn't bad. And then I think theologically, no, I don't think emotions are bad. We are made in the image of God, right? And so, I mean, that's one passage in Scripture that I cling to in Genesis. We are made in the image of God, mm. and we have a God who has emotions. Mm. We see a God throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, who at times is angry, mm. is excited, mm. is frustrated, is sad. I mean, we have a God that expresses emotions. It's not sinful for us to have emotions. Mm. It's what we were made to reflect. It's mm. what we do with that. Yeah. It's how do I take this tool of anger? Or how do I take this tool of joy? How do I take this resource of sadness? How do I take this compelling of anxiety? What do I do with that? Hmm. And how does that affect me that can either make me then do something that would be considered either like positive or negative? And so I don't view it as sinful or, or whatnot. It's, it's what it is. And then what do I do with that? Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, when we look at scripture, you see different anger mentioned in different places. So you have like the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the older brother is angry uh, that his father's throwing a party. I'd be angry right. too. Sure. Uh, but the, the older brother is angry oh, yeah. his father's throwing a party. Moses, the Old Testament, you see him getting angry for mm-hmm. all sorts of different reasons. Um, and then we've been looking a lot at Paul's words and wisdom in this series. And Paul says something interesting, Ephesians chapter 4. It's been a verse that's always been intriguing to me. He says this, verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Right. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. And so here, I mean, when he says, in your anger, do not sin, I guess he's implying, you know, yes, anger in and of itself isn't a sin. So how do you understand those, the, those kind of words, uh, commands of, of Paul and what, what, what he's trying to say there? Right, yeah. I mean, and Paul, I think, is affirming, right, that you're going you're to be angry. And, and the thing that you want to focus on is what do you do as a response to that? Like being mm. angry is not, being sin, is not a sin. Mm. Uh, but if it compels you to go and do something, now you are taking this thing that God has provided for you that can compel you to a restorative action or a healing action or, mm. you know, some sort of, you know, action of justice. 
and you don't want to take that into sin, right? So if I'm angry at uh, a neighbor because I think they're doing something wrong and I attack my anger, that would be like moving me into sin. Um, and so I don't want to do that. I want to work to, to restore that. Um, and then the notion of not letting the sun set on your anger is kind of this idea, I think, not in terms of I can't go to bed angry. I would say that that's a good aspirational goal, not to go to bed angry, because I find that I sleep better when I'm not angry. But I think it's more of like kind of like the season. Don't let yourself linger in a season of being angry. If you are angry, let that be a compelling to do something about that. Let that be a compelling to, to seek God's healing within that. How do we manage that for the, for the glory of God's kingdom? But not to just let it be something that takes away our opportunity. Because if we dwell in that anger in, in a way that's not responding to God's action, then it does give the devil a foothold to where we may start to respond to that anger in a way that's not in God's kingdom, right? Mm. So that may lead us to violence or things that we're not called to do. Mm. And so I think that's kind of what Paul's saying there. Not, not sinful to be angry. We, we don't want to live within that. We need to seek the favor of God so that we know what is the season or what is the action that you want me to take, mm. to take in this time. Yeah, and when we look, you were talking earlier about being made in the image of God. Yeah. So Jesus uh, is the full image of God in human flesh, right? And Jesus... Uh, lived a perfect life. He was the sinless Savior of the world. And we see throughout the Gospels, he has emotions. You know, he, he weeps at, at Lazarus's death. He, um, he, you know, has joy. And then we also see Jesus getting angry. I mean, a lot of times we think about Jesus, you know, petting the little lambs, uh, Jesus with the little kids. Uh, yeah. But then you also have Jesus, you know, with, with the little whip and like flipping over the tables in the temple. So um, I want to read Matthew 21 kind of get some of your thoughts on this. So Matthew 21, verse 12, we read this. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And so, I mean, when I read this passage, it sounds to me like Jesus is angry. Does it sound like he's angry to y'all? Yeah. Sounds like he's angry, okay? If y'all started flipping over chairs right now, I would assume you're angry and that you're not praising the Lord, okay? Right. So Jesus is, is flipping over the tables. He's angry. And then we actually also see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're angry as well. Right. So uh, sometimes I hear about righteous and unrighteous yeah. anger. How, how do you understand the kind of two different uh, expressions of anger here in, in this story of Jesus' life? Sure. And this uh, maybe a little latitude on some, or at least a, a moment for some theological reflection on that especially. You know, when we look at what we are called to do as people of faith, you know, if we read Micah 6, 8, right, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to, you know, be concerned with justice and mercy and humility before God. And when we, we read like the Lord's Prayer, you know, that justice and mercy, I think it's, that gets caught up in the idea that what we're supposed to be about is making earth more like heaven, like so that the kingdom of earth is like the kingdom of heaven. That's what we pray for. That's what we seek. And so my like definition of justice has always been when I see something that is not of the kingdom of God, and I work to bring it back into alignment with the kingdom of God, that's justice, right? So it, it doesn't involve revenge. It doesn't involve vengeance. It doesn't necessarily involve punishment. It's what is not of God's kingdom, and how do I bring that into God's kingdom, right? That's justice. And so I think that what Jesus is, is showing when he goes and flips over the tables, 
is that things are not what God's kingdom was supposed to be. The, the house of the Lord was called to be a place of prayer, a place of repentance, a place of reconciliation with God, a place where the people of God who walk with God, right? Like we're Israel, the, the people who walk with God can come and have that, that, uh, that interaction where the priest can offer the sacrifices for cleansing and healing, and, and the people can come to God. And now we get this establishment that's come in and has put restrictions on, on how much money you have to have to give a sacrifice, or we're going to shortchange you, or if you really want to be forgiven, you got to give us money so you can buy the two doves. And, and all these things that were not about reconnecting and walking with God in the way that God intended. So it's not a place where we're seeing God's justice taking place. And so Jesus, in his anger, it's a response to what he's viewing as a gap between what was supposed to be and what is. Hmm. And it's, it, it, it's not because he's angry at the, the heart. It's not, it's not that he's angry with people. He's angry with what people are doing. And he's angry with what has become. And so because of that gap, he's responding. And he's responding in a way that is trying to bring things back. Let's get these money changers out. Let's get this behavior out. Let's change things so that the people of God can come and have access to and be, and be in prayer with and be in connection with and be in redemption with God, which is what Jesus came to do. Right? The whole point of what Jesus came to do is to restore us back to the relationship that was lost so long ago and, and trying to get those things that are removed. And, and that's, that's kind of the righteous anger. Then on the flip side of that, we get the Pharisees mm-hmm. who have this unrighteous anger because they don't like what Jesus came to do. They, they wanted Jesus to come and to overthrow the Romans and to and to prop the Pharisees up as even more experts, and to give them this, this established sense of power. And Jesus isn't doing that, so what do they now do? Their action, based on their anger, is they plot to kill Jesus. Hmm. You know, that is, an, that is an unrighteous and an unhealthy and a negative behavior to kill someone. Hmm. And so that becomes their response, and we see this huge difference then. Jesus' anger compels into how do I reconnect people with God? The Pharisees' anger drives them to how do we, how do we kill someone? How do we take their life? And I think in our lives, we get angry. And let me go back to the, the Georgia, Florida story from 2002. It's not worth getting angry that my team lost a football game. I love sports. That's the closest thing to a hobby that I have. You know, I follow Georgia football. I spend way too much time <laughs> reading about it, way too much time reading about it. You know, and, and I watch games and, I, and I'm into it and, and I, I get up and I get down and all that. There's no eternal significance Please don't take my Georgia card away, but there is no <laughs> eternal significance. I will love it if they win a national championship this year. I was three months old the last time they did it. I <laughs> would love it very, very much. But at the end of the day, there are still going to be children dying of starvation if Georgia wins or loses. At the end of the day, there's still going to be marriages that are broken if Georgia wins or loses. There's still going to be people that are suffering injustice and oppression if Georgia wins or loses. So it's not a righteous anger for me to be mad that a receiver dropped a pass. Hmm. But it is righteous anger when I look at the fact that I have enough food and someone else doesn't. Hmm. And I throw food away while people starve. And I need to do something with that gap. Hmm. That I have an opportunity to help other people. I have an opportunity to be a voice for those that don't have a voice, and I don't. That's something to be angry about. And so to work to bring the kingdom of, earth, uh, kingdom of heaven on earth that is when I have righteous anger. And honestly, that actually changes things. If I'm angry that children are starving, and then I give food so that they're not starving, my anger's not only compel me to do something, but I become less angry. Hmm. If I'm angry that a receiver dropped a pass, and I yell at the TV, and I scream at the TV, and I, and I stay mad at that, it doesn't change anything. 
my anger in that doesn't change anything. I have found that Kirby Smart does not take my suggestions. <laughs> and Brian Snicker does not take my, my suggestions. So my anger does not compel anything to change that. Mm. And nor does it really, I mean, nor is it going to cha- change anything for eternity. But, but if I act in that anger where I do things to compel because I feel that there's an injustice, because I feel that there's a lack of, of God's kingdom, now I'm changing something and I feel peace about that. And I go back to those primary emotions. I can feel some peace. I can feel security. I can feel settled. And I can feel hope, mm. you know, that things yeah. can be better. Yeah, if anything, your anger, like in that, that story about George, like it's alienating you from, yeah. from your family members, from your friends, <laughs> from other stuff going on. So you talk a little bit about like, okay, so if we have righteous anger, mm-hmm. how can we deal with that? Okay, we can, we can put our faith into action, right? If we, if we see, um, you know, children in need around the world, Somebody like Gretchen here is like, okay, I'm passionate about Operation Christmas Child. We're going to go. We're going to share hope. We're going to share healing. Um, You know, people who care about, you know, animal cruelty, people who care about um, the unborn. Like, it it can help motivate us to action, to work for justice and mercy. What about, like, when you're feeling angry about Georgia? Or, like, you know what? You're angry. You're having to work from home. Your kids are at home. Everybody's screaming and yelling, and your Zoom calls are disconnecting. Like, when you're feeling angry in a relationship or just in life, as a counselor, like, what are some tools, like, how can people respond to their anger or maybe use it in a healthy way? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you practically tell people to do? Sure. Now, that, that's a really, really good question. Um, because we do get angry, and, and we do get angry again about things that, you know, others may look at and say that's not worth getting angry about, but for us it is, because for us it can be a sense of anxiety or a sense of insecurity that's going on there. And so kind of practically, there's, there's a few steps we work to take. One is, is a process we call self-soothing. And this is where I do things to help, help me, you know, regulate my, myself. You know, I'm, some clinical terms we use, like regulating. If I, I found that if I say big words in counseling, people think I know what I'm talking about, so I try to use some of those, like regulate yourself, self-soothing you know, things like that. We become dysregulated when we're angry, and, and that's where we may not make good decisions or we lose focus at work. We scream at our kids. Um, we're distant from our spouse. And so we want to we take on the ability to, to regulate that within us. And, uh, and some of those self-soothing techniques are breathing, stopping and breathing. Uh, research has indicated that we get about 80% of our needed energy by breathing. I and mean, that tells me two things. One, most of what I need, I get if I just breathe. But two, if I'm not taking time to just breathe, and it doesn't, when we get really angry about something, like we take short, shallow breaths and we scream a lot. So we're not breathing. I can't make up that energy. So if I need 80%, I'm only getting 40%. I can't make up that energy by drinking water or eating food or getting sunlight. Like I can't make that up. And when we have less energy, we're less efficient. And when we're less efficient, we just don't handle things well. So stopping and breathing, that's kind of the first thing that I talk to people about. Like, just stop and breathe. You know, and I've got breathing techniques I work on, you know, that I don't want to bore you guys with. But I have breathing techniques we work on and ways that we can try to engage that. Because it's amazing how that can relax us because we get energy. And now we have the ability to work through, think through, and, and so that's and like when people it. say like countdown from ten. Yeah, this isn't just like something you see in TV. This no, is like it yeah. actually is affecting your body Correct. and your mind. Correct. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah, there's a biological component to that. Hmm. You know, and I always try to explain the biological component because again, if I do that, it makes me sound smart <laughs> and people listen. Um, but then there's other like self-soothing. I'm a big music guy. 
Mm. Like we sang King of My Heart up here. Like King, that's one of my favorite worship songs. I go to that when I have a bad day because I need to be reminded that God is good. Mm. And, and no matter how bad my day is going, God is good. Mm. Um, and no matter what I've done wrong, God is good. And so like I recommend to people, Spotify is, a, is one of my favorite tools to, to tell people about and, and counseling. Create a list of songs that help you relax, that help you settle down, that help you reconnect with God, you know, wherever you are and musically. You can have that as a tool to self-soothe and to go with that. Um, getting outside, spending time in nature, doing exercise. When we exercise, it produces something called endorphins, and endorphins have a natural mood elevation to them. And so that can help us go from being angry uh, to being settled. I do that with my kids. When, if, if my younger son's getting really angry while he's doing homework, we make him do jumping jacks or run around the living room, <laughs> right? Was get those anger bubbles out, right? And I found myself as an adult, sometimes I got to get my anger bubbles out. And I'll just do some jumping jacks or some push-ups or, or something like that uh, to self-soothe and regulate. Now I can get back on task. And as a person of faith, it sounds simple. Go read Scripture. Read Scripture. We, we're really good in culture of complicating things. I don't think there's a magic formula. We want to get closer to God and we want to talk to God. Read the Bible because we believe it's what God said. Hmm. And so reading Scripture when I'm angry can be helpful. Go to, a, go to the Psalms. You know, there's, there's kind of some different categories of psalms, but the two most primary are their psalms of praise and their psalms of lament. And so I can get into Scripture, and I can read how King David was sad and angry and frustrated, and he wrote a psalm of lament, mm. like Psalm 20, that Jesus actually quotes on the cross because Jesus is going through a time of sadness and frustration and anger. And then there's psalms of praise that remind us that God is good. Mm. And so I can read those when I'm angry, and it helps me to kind of regulate that. And so those are some soothing techniques. And the other thing that I work on with people is a reminder that you can't control your emotions. You do things to affect them. When we don't feel like we have control, this goes back to that secondary primary thing. When I don't feel like I have control, I get angry because I should be in control because I really do know how things would be best. And so when I don't feel like I have control, I get angry. I remember what can I control. I can control what I think, and I can control what I do. And if I focus on what I think... You know, the person that cut me off in traffic didn't cut me off in traffic because they are angry at me or they think that they're better than me. They cut me off in traffic because they don't pay attention. That's a them problem. And if I can reframe how I think about that, change these kind of beliefs that I have about myself, that I'm a victim, or change these beliefs that I have about myself that people are out to get me, it can help reduce that anger as well. Like, mm. So it, it can have that effect. So focusing on the things that I can control, taking actions of self-soothing, reconnecting with God. Those are things that really help personally reduce the anger that I experience. Yeah. And one of them for me is sometimes just like you were, you were talking about the Psalms, the Psalms, we see the full expression of human experience expressed to God. I'll just, right. I'll just pray and say, God, I'm angry. Yeah. You know, God, I'm angry about this, whether it's righteous anger or unrighteous anger. I'll say, God, I'm angry about this. And I know it is dumb, but I need your help. Yeah. Um, and what I found is that God is big enough He's big enough to handle our emotions. Absolutely. He's big enough to handle your questions, your frustrations. And so going to God in prayer is something I found helpful as well. Right. Um, breathing, exercising like you're talking about. So that's kind of more like personal, mm -hmm. dealing with it inside of ourselves. And, uh, but then there's, there's kind of the interpersonal aspect where, you know, we encounter people or bump up against people in life who are angry. Right. Or maybe we're angry right. with our spouse or something. How do, you, how do you counsel people or what do you recommend for kind of dealing with that anger when it's interpersonal and it's not just kind of inner frustration about right. Georgia where Kirby Smart doesn't care what you think <laughs> and you can't talk to him unless yes. you, 
you tweet them angrily, which you do right. sometimes, I think. But, um, but you know, like when you when you when you can talk to somebody, yeah. What do you recommend there? Yeah, interpersonally, um, one the the first thing I, I tell couples because I do work with a lot of couples is don't hide your emotions, like express them. And I tell and I tell the couples I work with, it, if for no, nothing else, no other time, at least for this hour, we're going to say that it is okay for us to say everything we need to say. And if we have to leave it here and then go back into life and don't think about it, that's fine. But, but we at least need to say what we need to say. And we need to express our emotions. Mm-hmm. We have emotions, as we've talked about. We are emotional beings. It does no good to deny it. It does no good to deny it. So I'd say, don't hide it. Don't say I'm not angry. <laughs> and I'll tell... And I'll tell, I'll tell I always do that. I say, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Right. <laughs> if you say I'm not angry, you lose the, you lose the right to be angry hmm. or to act angry. If you're not willing to say I'm angry to your spouse hmm. or to your children or to your parents or your siblings, whoever it is, a coworker, you lose the right then to act like it. If I'm going to say I'm not angry. So let's name the emotion. I'm angry. And then we want to focus on what's cl- the cause of anger. And I tell couples this, like, we want to focus, and, and parents, we want to focus on, I'm angry because of a behavior, right? I'm angry because I expected this to happen, and this happened. So I'm angry at that gap, which is caused by behavior. So we want to focus on what's behaviorally. So when I'm, inter, when I'm having these interpersonal frustrations, and I'm angry because a coworker said they do something and they didn't do it, I don't want to go to them and say, I'm angry because you're lazy. I've not found much success in those conversations. <laughs> But I can go to them and say, I'm angry because you told me you would have this to me by Monday, and it's Wednesday, and I can't get my work done. And so now you're, like, your behavior is affecting my ability, and I'm angry about that. I tell my children, I'm not angry because, because of who you are. I'm angry because I told you to clean your room up. You didn't clean your room up. Mm-hmm. But then you thought it would be okay to go play. Like, I'm angry at the behavior. I'm angry at my spouse. One, we'll flip it, you know, my wife would more likely say, I'm angry at you because you told me you would have this done by now and you didn't. You would call so-and-so or you would take care of this and you haven't done that. So she's not angry at me as a person. She's not angry at my personality. She's angry at my behavior. And so we want to focus on the, on the anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the, on the source of the behavior. So when we give corrective statements, you know, we're not, we're not trying to make someone feel bad. We're not trying to hurt someone's feelings. We're saying, I've, you know, I'm disappointed because I expected this and I didn't receive that. You know? So we want to do like a good I feel statement. And we hear that in communication a lot. Anyone that's ever gone through some sort of like business communication or anything like that, you talk about I feel statements. We don't do a good job with I feel statements. We say things like, I feel mad because you're terrible. Mm. That is not a good I feel statement. But to say like, I feel angry because I thought this bill would get paid and it hasn't been paid. So I'm kind of reflecting on what I hoped. And then there's been a gap there. And so we need to get that gap fixed. Mm. But focusing on behavior then takes away my anger toward a person, and it puts my anger on a problem that can be solved. Hmm. And so interpersonally, I think that's really huge too. And I think that's what we, like, that's what we see in Scripture. Like, like, God gets angry because we sinned. And so in God's, God's anger about sin isn't that he got rid of us. He found a way to reconcile himself to us. Hmm. You know, God gets angry because the people made a golden calf. And so... He had Moses, you know, make him ground it up and drink it. But we're going to focus on a restoring behavior, and I'm not just giving up on the person. Hmm. You know, Jesus got angry because the Pharisees and the, and the temple workers had set up tables. He overturned the tables, and he got angry about their action of doing that. 
and then he went on a cross and died so that they could be reconciled to God. He didn't take mm-hmm. away their ability as people. And so, so that's what we want. We want to focus on what's the behavior so we can reconcile the behavior and our relationships can be restored. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Emily always says, name it. If, yeah. if you can name it, you can tame it. Right. But that's if good. you, you know, because I'm more of like a bottled it up person. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're bottling it up and you're not expressing it, well, then there's not going to really be hope for, right. for change. But, you know, if we're able to express it, if we're able to focus on the problem, discuss this together, then, then it sounds like there's, there's hope for change. Yeah. And I mean, in your experience, you know, you, you see people who've probably dealt with anger issues their entire lives. Mm-hmm. It's affected their marriages. I mean, would right. you say this is something that's like, yep, this is just life. This is just who you are. You got to deal with it. Or is, is there hope that, I mean, yeah. people can change in that, Absolutely. um, that we can handle these emotions in a helpful way? Oh, I, I totally believe there's hope that we can change. We are all here today because we believe that someone was dead, came back to life, right? Mm. So if I believe that that can happen, I believe that somebody can go from being angry to not angry, mm. right? Um, and so when I work with couples, especially couples that are people of faith, that's what I tell them. If God can resurrect the dead, God can heal your marriage, right? Wow. And I don't think I'm speaking out of turn uh, to say this, but I've worked with couples where they, they did not feel comfortable expressing their anger. And the biggest switch that happened with them is not because I'm good at what I do. It's because I gave them the freedom to express their anger. Now they could fix the problems. They could fix the behavior. They could Mm. fix the gap because they loved each other. They got married because they actually liked each other. And we can get back to that and we can fix behaviors and we can fix gaps and problems. And so there's, there's so much hope. If we name it, I love that. If we name it, we can tame it. So I'm going to steal that from Emily. I'll give her credit the first time I work with a couple, then after that, it'll be mine. But, um, but I love that. When we can name it, we can work through it. Mm. And there is hope. Yeah. We serve a God who does his best work in graveyards. I heard a pastor say that once. And, mm. and there's always hope uh, when we're willing to kind of engage that process. Yeah. Well, um, well Stephen, I want to thank you for sharing with us this morning. Would you all give him a round of applause? Um, and um, you, can, you can just Google Stephen Walters with a PH, um, and you can find his, uh, you know, if you're interested in talking with him more, um, you know, doing any kind of sessions or anything like that, or he can help connect you with a counselor locally. Um, but we always want to provide resources for you as we deal with these things. Um, and then this morning, as we close, maybe let, let's say a word of prayer together. Um, and, you know, let's just come before God and, and bring, bring ourselves to Him, bring our emotions bring our challenges, bring our frustrations. And so, God, uh, this morning, uh, we come to you. Some of us are feeling joyful and happy, and, and we're excited that it's Halloween, and we're feeling playful, but, God, others of us here are, are angry, resentful, hurting, and God, we thank you that you are a God that, that wants us and welcomes us as we are. That you don't want us to hide. And that when we're hiding, you seek us out. So God, we thank you this morning that you've met us, that you've spoken to us. And we pray that you would just help us communicate what's on our hearts with you. And God, we thank you that you welcome us as we are, but you don't leave us as we are. That you are a God of transformation. You are a God of hope. You are a God that brings dead things back to life. And so God, for all the situations, our our family members, our relationships that feel hopeless or like they've been characterized by anger for years, for decades, for a lifetime, God, we pray that you would do a transforming work 
in us and you would do a transforming work in these relationships. God, we pray that you would give us courage to express ourselves to one another in hopes that we can pursue peace. And God, we know that it's, it's not always possible, as Paul says, but as far as it depends on us, would you help us live at peace with all people? We thank you for this day. We thank you for Stephen uh, sharing his heart with us. And we pray uh, that you would continue to transform us and fill us with hope. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.